Go to James 1 now. Let's start with the new book. We have been working exegetically through Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, then Philemon or Philemon, however you want to put the emphasis on which syllable of the Greek language. And we're going to move on to James now because I was going to do Peter, but I, James fits better, I think, for where we're at as a church and maybe where some of us are. And I'm going to do James in the NIV. So if you could have that, uh, Dylan, James in the NIV. I study the scriptures now in multiple translations. Books like, uh, translations like the NIV and the New Living Translation, uh, you have what are called like dynamic paraphrases or dynamic translations. And so something like the King James is a word-for-word translation or transliteration. And then you have what are called like a dynamic translation where they, they translate the concepts. So it's not a word-for-word but it's a translation of the concept. I like the NLT because it vacillates back and forth between a word for word and then a concept for concept. The problem with the concept for concept we, is that we might want a word left in and they might take it out. Like one example NIV is, uh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, Christ is in the original text, Christos. NIV leaves it out and says, I can do all things through him. And it's a dynamic translation in that there they're communicating the idea that we, we know who they understood he is. It's Christ, but they're leaving it out. So some folks debate, well, why'd you leave out Christ? Well, it gets other things right. And I'm not here to split hairs on NIV, but I just want you to know why we vacillate back and forth between other translations. I'm not a hardcore 1611 King James guy. That thing has more errors than you can shake a stick at mostly in the realm of science. And besides that, other words have evolved so much. We don't even know what charity is anymore or moderation. <laughs> so we're looking at NIV. I know I often call it the nearly inspired version, but for what we're going to do with this tonight, it's going to communicate the principles well enough that we'll catch it. All right. So overview, James, this is the half brother of Jesus Christ. At this time, he's also the pastor of the church at Jerusalem. This is the first New Testament book to be written. This is the first scripture to be written after the resurrection of Christ, written about 45, 46 AD. And it has some developing theology in it. And it lets us know that James is still developing the Christian faith. One of the examples of that is later on when he says, when you all come together in your gatherings, he doesn't use the word ecclesia for church. He uses the word synagogos for synagogue because the church is still meeting in synagogues. You're only 13 to 15 years after the resurrection of Christ, and Christianity is still very much Jewish. They're just Jews that follow Jesus the way. They're not even called Christians yet at the time of this writing. That happens in Antioch later as a misnomer and a put-down, and the Christians embrace it with pride. Yes, we're Christ-like. Call us Christians. Up until then, even the book of Acts says it refers to the Jews that walk in the way. And that was a reference to Jesus Christ saying he is the way. The Jews at this point have begun to call the believers, the early believers, the sectarians. Because now they have produced a new sect within Judaism. And I remind you all, they're studying the Old Testament. That's their Sunday morning and their Saturday morning. Because if this is the first epistle to be written, we still have a lot more 
books of the New Testament to complete the New Testament, which wasn't canonized until about the 5th century anyway. So wow, 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 wow. So James is developing some theology, advancing from the Old Testament to the New Testament, 45 AD. James goes on. Uh, he's the one that Paul comes to rebuke and adjust some things in the book of Acts at the first elder meeting, Acts chapter well, 15 or 16. And then uh, James ends up turning back to Judaism for a little bit. And Paul's really concerned about that. He goes back to try to fix that. He gets in prison. The good news is James repents at some point after the book of Acts is written and he stands wholeheartedly for the gospel and he is then martyred and I believe it's uh, him that they thrust off the temple mount and he was plummeted to his death. Either that or he's run through with a spear. I can't remember how it was a mob that killed him. A mob killed a lot of the early believers because they were just so full of Jesus and it cross-plowed Judaism at the time. So that's kind of the setting. So let's begin. Verse 1. James... I guess we're doing the NIV. Are we ready? Awesome. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He does not boast that he's the half-brother. If it was a Christian television preacher, you know that would be the first thing on their opening intro. And their business card. With all 17 of their titles. A servant, because that's what we are first and foremost. Even if you're the pastor of the mother flagship the Jerusalem church, the mothership, the flagship, the standard, the cornerstone, even if you're the pastor and the half-brother, man, that's two things going for you. I'm a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, not my big brother. Somebody once said, <laughs> somebody asked Pastor Vaughn years ago, did Jesus have any siblings? Pastor Vaughn said, yes. And then they said, there's a lady. I bet he was the oldest, Jesus. Yes. Same lady also pointed out, she said, Pastor, it's amazing. God loves me so much. Every time I fly, it's sunny. Yes, because that's how the stratosphere works. You get above those clouds, you know, good 15 to 30,000 feet. Yeah, they're not any up there. So, yes, Jesus loves you and everybody else flying at 30,000 feet. All right. To the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. And again, he's addressing Jews who've converted to Christianity. So he's writing things from a Jewish perspective. Greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, Whenever you face trials of many kinds, count it pure joy. He doesn't waste any time in getting down to the, hey, guess what, guys? Grow up. What a way to start the first epistle ever written to the church in the name of Jesus. Grow up. He doesn't say it that ruthlessly. He says, count it all joy pure joy. I like the NIV on that. Count it pure joy. Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. King James says temptations, but that makes it sound like it's only sin. But the word applies to many much broader things. Opposition. And again, if we were to look at the history of what they're facing, it would really shame us because what we're facing is first world petty problems. 
They're facing rejection by the Jews, loss of income by the Jews. They're facing persecution by the Romans and the Hellenists and those who are caught up in paganism. They're facing serious opposition. What we're facing today is mama won't email me. Coffee line was long this morning and I was late to work and the boss is mad at me again. I'm single and can't find nobody to love on me. I mean, petty first world things. These folks are facing livelihood issues for their faith. Persecution is beginning to ramp up. Acts 8, 1, a great persecution arose and scattered the saints with all. Most seem to think this is what that's referring to. The 12 tribes scattered because Acts 8, 1 kicked in and a great persecution arose and the believers went everywhere preaching. This is the one where Paul is arresting people, putting them in prison, even killing Christians. The, the, the temptations, the trials of many kinds are life and death trials, not first world problems, not Somebody didn't look at me in the toddler room or someone wasn't nice to me or they're talking about cutting back on the work or you know what, I can't afford the new iPhone or I got to use the credit card. I mean, but apply this however you need it to fit, fit your heart. <laughs> the wonderful thing about scripture is that it helps people wherever they are in time and in culture. So if this helps you with that coffee burn on your lip, this helps you with the upcoming tough Christmas season. You know, Christmas is really hard when you're single. But I'm going to count it pure joy because James 1 tells me to. Now, see, I make fun of it, but if it's real to you, you're like, why are you making fun of it? There may be a reason the Lord let you be born now and not back then because this is a real problem for you today. All right, I won't pick on you too much. Just want to pastor those that want to be pastored. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, that would also seem to say there's some that you shouldn't even worry about. It didn't say any kind. Any kind would be, you know, I stubbed my toe. Many kinds would mean there are some that are excluded because those trials you don't even pay attention to. And truth be told, there are times, there, there should come a place where you grow up out of what was once a trial, and now it's nothing but a speed bump to you. And if you're still struggling with the same trials you were 10 years ago, you've not grown any. What, as you grow in Christ, your trials today should have been like the communist regime 10 years ago. And what was the communist regime to you 10 years ago today is you're just taking a step up on a sidewalk because you've advanced. It's like learning to run or training to run. When you've never run, just walking half a mile is a lot of work and you're proud of yourself. And then you get up to running a mile and then run a mile, walk a mile, then you're running two miles and then your long day is three miles and you're really proud of yourself. And then before long, if you stick with it long enough, your short day, your warm up is a five mile run and your long day takes you four hours. And it's not even worth getting out of bed if you're not going to do at least eight. That's how we should be advancing in the gospel. But if we're still impressed over a half mile walk, and we've been walking with Christ for 20 years, I don't, I don't know if you're going to make it in these last days. So we ought to be advancing. All right. 
Now, we don't mock your trial today, but if it's the same trial you had 10 years ago, I'm going to mock it. Because at some point, your faith grows up and you says, what else you got? Like, like, yeah, this is, uh, this is pretty easy. Lord, what else you got for me? I need a challenge. If you're still struggling with the life God gave you out of college, you're not ready for anything else. Amen. So master where you're at so the Lord can hand you more. Let's keep reading. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. These trials test our faith. The wonderful thing about these trials is they show us where we're going to fail. And we should expect to fail. Failing is not failing God. Failing is just failing. And God knows you're going to fail. That's why he let the test come. So we can torture test it to see where it's going to fail. So we can go back into the prayer closet, go back to the design board and fix it. And say, all right, Lord, all right, I don't handle a 60-hour work week and two infants screaming at me very well. Please, Lord, don't let us get pregnant again in the next nine months. I need to grow up some more. Or, Lord, I'm emotionally unstable as a single 30-year-old. I can't handle being single. Please don't give me a mate. I don't want to ruin somebody else. I'm already miserable. The only thing worse than one miserable person is two. Failing is okay because it shows you where you're not mastered yet. And we should embrace that. If, if every believer ought to have some kind of health and fitness regimen, so you can apply this to the spirit realm. You, when you bench press or deadlift or squat, you're going to do a workout till failure to see what your max is. So then you can set a high watermark to know what to aim for next time. The problem with most believers is we have no standard, no high watermark, no goal. We just exist like a jellyfish, hoping the blessings of God will promote us. And it doesn't work that way. You've got to set benchmarks and set goals and standards. We aim towards the mark of the high call in Christ. There's a mark we aim for. And if you don't know where you used to fail, and if you have no metric for how much you've improved, how can you even show how much you've grown in Christ? The name of the game is grow in Christ. Grow in Christ. Because there's going to be tests and trials. They want to test our faith to produce perseverance. Now, here's the bad thing about perseverance. If we have to have it, it's because we're going to need it. And you need perseverance because things are rough and tough and they're not getting any better. And the fact that James is implying that our perseverance must grow means life's going to get harder. Now, I tell most of our young single folks and our high school and college kids when they start coming around me and my wife for discipleship, not everybody chooses to do that. But those that do, we kind of walk them through the same thing over and over again. We tell them, this is the easiest your life's ever going to be. This is the most time you're ever going to have. This is the least busy you're ever going to have. How can you say that? Because I'm older than you. God has seen fit to promote me. So here's how it's going to work. You're going to suffer and hate college till you graduate. And then the boss man's going to own your soul. And he's going to demand more of you than your professors ever did. And you're going to be stressed out. And you're going to be swamped. And you're going to be horrible at your job until you get your head above water. And then he's going to promote you. And then you're going to get married. And then you have to do all that and lead a wife. And keep her happy. And disciple her. And maintain your responsibilities at church. And maintain your apartment. And her car. And your car. And clothing. And a budget. And insurance. Oh my goodness. And now you're budgeting more than just $9 an hour. Now you're budgeting $29 an hour. 
And then she's going to turn up pregnant or she's going to want to be pregnant. It's going to take you six years to get there. So that's a whole nother dimension you got to walk out. But let's say she turns up pregnant. Now you got all that and a kid and she's not sleeping and she's not happy. And if she's not happy, you're not happy. And the baby's not happy. And you got to go to work on two hours of sleep. And the boss just gave you another promotion. And now you're at $49 an hour. And now you're in another tax bracket. And I'm out putting more work on you. Okay, pastor, stop. I get the picture. All of this is you expanding. And you do catch these breaks in life where you're like, I can do all this. Yeah, three kids, mortgage, two cars, house, vacation, promotion, this, promotion, that. Praise the Lord. And then the Lord says, and here's something else. And all these are the promotions of God. And they all test your faith. And whatever you drop and break is where your faith stinks. So you go back and fix that and fix it and fix it till now all your plates spin with the faith of God. And then the Lord can say, and here's another plate. Guess what? She's pregnant again. Mm, we should do something about that, Lord. Well, too late this time, but yes, you should. <laughs> That's how it works. If you can't manage your life from the moment you graduate college, God is merciful by letting you stay single with cats. You don't even have to bathe the cat. They lick themselves. You don't have to feed them. They'll go find something themselves. They don't even like you anyway. <laughs> they just sharpen their claws on, car claws on your expensive clothing, and they do it just to spite you. <laughs> All this stuff tests our faith to produce perseverance. You know, when you plumb a house, you pressurize it to see if there's any leaks so that you don't run water through it and have water leaks or sewage leaks. And God is merciful enough to let us go through things at our stage and at our level to pressure test our faith. And wherever it's failing, it's a safe time to fail. But a wise person is going to look and see where am I failing before we fully charge this system and put 80 PSI of water, 100 PSI of whatever it is, a wise person says, all right, let's pressure test this system with air. See if we lose any PSI on the little meter. And if so, go back and check all the joints. What a lot of Christians fail to do is check their system and then just run water through it like they're ready and then wonder why they have water damage and black mold and now lung cancer. We have to slow down and enjoy the moment the Lord has us in and look for leaks. Look for pride leaks. Look for insecurity leaks. Look for shame leaks. Look for laziness leaks. And master where we're at. Quit hoping for promotion if you're still failing where you are. The mercy of God keeps you at that stage so that you don't go on to fail. God wants us to promote. He wants us to advance. The will of God and the kingdom is big enough to promote every one of us to that next bump up in life whether it's marriage or another degree or the step up in the career or kingdom responsibility or a full-time ministry or this or that. But if you're at your current level and you've been there and you would admit, I got some leaks, the mercy of God says, well, let's fix those. It's not hard. Get some pipe. We call it pipe dope. Just, just slick it up. Redo the joint if you have to. Better that than, you know, sheetrock the wall up and wonder why all of a sudden the carpet's black and moldy in the closet and damp and all your clothes smell now and the kids are sick. We really hurt ourselves by trying to promote ourselves. 
God is a merciful father and he knows so much. He tests our faith to produce perseverance. Uh, we're going to need more of that in the days and years ahead. Perseverance. We are in the great falling away. We're in the midst of it. We're watching churches, denominations. We're watching people we know and love deny Christ for something petty. It isn't even hard in America yet. It isn't even hard here yet. And we've got brothers and sisters who probably don't have a faith similar to ours willing to lose a business to take a stand for biblical marriage. They're willing to lose a camera business. They're willing to lose a livelihood. They're willing to be maligned for their loving community or by their leg because they won't bake a cake. And here we are, we fall apart over the pettiest of things. This is the mercy of God. The old school time, the old timers, the reformed believers would have said, the grace of God lets you suffer. We don't like to hear that because we're word of fake. The grace of God is mercy that lets you suffer so you can pressure test. I'd rather my car break down in Cookville than halfway between here and Florida. I'd rather the airplane recognize they have landing gear problem before we back away from the gate than after we take off. <laughs> like, how do you gently set down a triple seven? Let's just stay here a little longer. Yeah, we can change gates. I'm cool with that. Make up time in the air. God's merciful to keep you where you are till you pass the test. But pass the test. Take inventory. We're wrapping up this year. We're going to want better in 24. But be willing to pass the test. Be willing to take it again. Be willing to get really quiet and listen for the whistle. What's that? That's where you stink. That's where you fail God. When, um, when Pastor Vaughn was still alive, I lived in their house. They, they bought a new house, he and Miss Mary. So the old house didn't sell for a long time. And it's a big old house there in uh, Hooper Huddleston neighborhood, whatever it's called. Uh, AJ, what's AJ's business? Hillsdale, that's the name of the neighborhood. Hillsdale, Hooper Huddleston, Hillsdale. Hooper Huddleston is the funeral home. Hillsdale. And for insurance reasons, they needed somebody living in the house so that they didn't have to have a whole lot of insurance in case it burned out. So they, pastor asked me to move into it because I needed a place to stay having just come back from not going to the Philippines. And they let me live in it for a dollar a month, which is pretty sweet. They just needed somebody to live there. So I moved into it. I just lived in the basement. I was working in Knoxville. But they were telling me about a leak in the basement. They, they had a water leak and it was making the ceiling wet and they couldn't find it and they couldn't find it. So I was living there and I wanted to be a blessing to pastors. So I started just looking for it. And I, of course, being a caver, have all sorts of headlamps and nobody could find it. Robert, you remember that leak? Yeah, you were nodding your head at me like you know exactly what I was talking about. So I got to looking for it and um, it was causing mold issues but I just happened to turn off all the lights, put on a caving headlamp and stuck my head up into the crawl area between the drop ceiling and the joist and just turned sideways and I could see this pin prick and it was just blowing a mist. They hadn't been able to look, uh, they looked for it but hadn't been able to find it in a long time. And it just, it just took the right angle and the right equipment. And to me, it's like, all right, there it is. And I'm, did you fix it, Robert? Yep, so you know, it was just a pin prick but it was causing mold issues. It was causing an issue to resell the house. 
God is merciful to let us stay at the level that frustrates us. We think it's God's hate. We think it's God's, he's mad at us. We, we need to adjust our perspective and realize it's his mercy, his love, his foreknowledge, his all knowledge, realizing that if I advance you without this fixing this pen prick water leak, you will grow mold and ruin the next stage. Quit kicking against the pricks and be content with where Christ has you now and then ask him, Lord, what more can I do here? Certainly, no matter where you're at, you realize you haven't mastered that domain yet, right? So master where you're at. What, what can be mastered where you're at? Perseverance keeps you where you're at. We're not, I, I'm almost kind of sad that I'm having to apply perseverance to just live in, in middle-class Christian America with our first world problems because this is applied to people who are dying. And here we are having to principalize it for first or 21st century Americans in our comfort castles of Wi-Fi, GPS, and ease. But I guess this is where we're at. And we're the Christian nation and we need exhortation to be encouraged in our hardness and our hardship. So hard here today. So hard. Oh, I just, yeah, I just, so hard here. I wish those believers in Afghanistan could understand what it's like to be an American Christian. I wish those North Korean Christians could understand how hard it is being an American. I, I wish those Christians living in South Sudan could appreciate what it's like being a Christian and 21st century America. So hard. Now I mock us because we got to adjust our perspective because it is about to get much harder on us. At some point you got to pass the test and move on. Perseverance. Verse four, we got to hurry up and do something with this chapter. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature. You quit the trial, you'll never mature. If you and I quit the trial, we'll never mature. Embrace, now I'm going to say a, a semi-cuss word. It's not a cuss word. It's a military term. Some of you know what I'm about to say. The Navy SEALs live by it. It's Kitchens is former army. Caleb is former army. The military has an expression that says, embrace the suck. I don't mean that vulgar. Just, we all know what that term means in our vernacular. It means heartache, hardship. And the military says, just deal with it and move on. So much of combat is psychological. You just need to stare down at people and say, I will outlast you. I will outsurvive you. I will outendure you. You will quit and go home way before I do because my God sustains me. You have to have that mindset about you. If not, you will quit the test. You'll lose perseverance and you'll never mature or as it says, or be complete. So you won't ever be, you have to go through something to be complete. Yes, you can't click your heels and believe you receive it. That's word of faith fallacy. I believe I receive, I believe. No, you have to go through stuff, which is gonna happen anyway. We might as well embrace it and get good at it. You need to look at every opposition as an opportunity to grow, to get grit, determination, spunk, experience. Look at every opportunity to advance on your fellow man, not to be better than them, but to further help them. You got to look around and say, somebody's got to get good at this. Might as well be me. Somebody's got to master this. Might as well be me. Quit picking the easier choices in life. Embrace 
the funk. I don't like saying S-U-C-K. We said it once, but embrace the stink. How about that? Embrace the, tre- the trial. Embrace the test. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I wonder how many times we've quit the test not realizing we weren't going to get bumped ahead. This isn't public education where if you just stink enough years in a row, they just promote you to get rid of you. No, this is the mercy and the justice of God. You get to retake it and 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 retake it. So you might as well say, well, let's just go ahead and get it done right the first time. I'm not going to promote you just because I'm tired of looking at you. Uh, Somebody's going to come and take your place. That's how I'm going to operate because I don't have time to waste. So you might as well look at whatever you're facing and say, I fixed the leak today and I pass the test tomorrow because I need to be perfect and complete, lacking nothing, lacking nothing. That would imply also that these tests and trials come to add things to our lives. That we have to go through trials because we lack something and that trial just happens to work this thing out. This becomes a bigger picture of sovereignty and providence that we don't like to scratch at as word of faith, blab it and grab it believers. I believe in name it and claim it as long as it's aligned with scripture. If he says I can have peace, I can have peace and I'm going to need peace in the midst of the storm. But really, church, we are conditioned as Americans to find the path of least resistance we are conditioned to find the easiest, most comfortable route. We want, it, we want our name glorious. We want our reputation spotless. Too many of you still live for social media. You live in the figment of somebody else's imagination. And so your decisions are made. I know the psychology behind it. I preach against it. You don't think it applies to you because you think you're the exception. But if you're the exception, you should be exceptional. And you're not exceptional. You live and your decisions are based on how it's going to look on how you post on social media. What a useless existence. When your decisions are based upon the post that you haven't even fabricated yet, you don't even serve God. You serve a bunch of nimrods out there in the ether. And you, you live and exist for how this is going to look to your followers. How many of you got? Seven? Eight? You got more angels than that watching you right now. You ought to impress them. They're more real than those nimrods on the ethernet, Facebook, Meta, whatever it is, X, they keep changing names all the time. TikTok, ding dong. (laughs) They come and go like middle school boyfriends. So make decisions based on the word of God. Verse 15, uh, 5, 15, that's hopeful wish and thinking right there. We're not getting to verse 15. The way you guys are living, we're going to be stuck here for a month. (laughs) Verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, by the way, that's all of us. That's all of us. We have wisdom in some areas that we are good at, but when the Lord promotes you to the next stage, you're starting off at ground zero. Lord, I don't know what I'm doing. And it's often best to lead with that. We just launched Petra Press. Everybody's asking, what are you doing now, Chris, Pastor Chris? We just launched a publishing company. How's that going? I don't have a clue what I'm doing. Um, I really don't know what to tell you. I got a lot of money tied up with trademark lawyers and websites and uh, people keep asking, but like right now I'm just faking it. 
just acting like we know what we're doing because I don't have a clue yet, but it will come together like every other thing I've done for God. Well, he just throws you out there and says, make it work. And you're like, okay, you have to be with me though. But we lead with that. Even our website now says a fledgling. That's F to say, we don't have a clue what we're doing. So please don't judge us too harshly. <laughs> we lead with our incompetence. That way people can't knock you down. You're already down. As Americans, we lead with pride and grandeur and and uh, grandiose, and it's never true. We're like the Macy, we belong in the Macy parade, just hot, inflated, bloated. Our ego needs some of that Ozempic medicine. I'm not against it if you need it, but your ego does need it. <laughs> if any of you lacks wisdom, that's every one of us at some point in our life in some area, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. He doesn't look at us and say, why don't you know what you're doing? Because he knows. We don't know what we're doing because he just promoted us here. So he doesn't upbraid us for asking. So that means this is like a gimme. This is a real place to apply, name it and claim it. If any man lack wisdom, Lord, that's me. Let him ask, Father, I need it. Uh, Pastor... Bob and I were talking and he was commenting on the wisdom to administrate this place. And I said, well, when I took over from day one, I began to actually before I even took over and Miss Mary said I was going to be given the church. I began to pray, Lord, if I'm going to pastor, I need 50 years of ministry wisdom and I need it yesterday. That was my prayer for several years. I always claimed 50 years. Now I wish I would have claimed 100. But when you have none, 50 seems ambitious. So maybe we ask for another 50 years to kind of advance things more. But I prayed that every day. Lord, give me, I need 50 years of ministry wisdom and I need it yesterday. And the funny thing about wisdom is it's not some magical, mystical, whoo, it's all of a sudden you know what to do. It just comes to you like, I need to do this. How do you know? Why wouldn't I do that? It's just as common sense to you as coming out of the rain. But when you don't have wisdom, you make dumb decisions and it's, it's, not clear why they're dumb. Wisdom is a spirit that rests upon you that makes decision-making so clear that you just pray for it every day and you always just know what to do. Sometimes you don't, the, the wisdom says, go ask them, they know what to do. That's still wisdom. And really wisdom will carry us into promotion after promotion. It'll prevent heartache and loss and hardship. It'll help us a long way. But the Bible says here very clearly, ask and you'll get so why don't we ask more? One thing wisdom would say is quit living for your followers on Facebook. What a horrible way to exist in these last days, living up here for what's in the palm of your hand. If this is your kingdom, Lord of mercy, this is what you live for? What's on the other end of this interface? That's you? I've taught you better than that, but you're no disciple of mine. Amen. In trying to promote this book, everything I keep reading is like, you got to get on social media. And I'm like, no, I don't need to be. I won't even get on social media to promote books. I'm going to see if I can promote a book and let God do it without something as wicked as social media. Because they've said for 15 years, I won't be able to do ministry without social media. We've proved that wrong. So let's prove them wrong with books too. It's a lie to think you need the world's technology. You need the world's information and the world's technology to keep up with the world, but I'm not called to keep up with the world. 
I'm called to keep up with Christ, and I don't need this to keep up with Christ. Amen. All right, so let's keep reading here. He gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So there's this wonderful promise. Ask for wisdom, and you get it. Ask for wisdom, and you get it. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. And I really wonder, who doubts something as easy to receive as wisdom? It's not like asking for a miracle when you can't. Either you have it or you don't. You can see it or you can't. Wisdom, how can you tell when you do or don't have it? It's just you believe you receive it. I just know what to do now. The decisions are becoming more clear. Again, it's not like a mantle comes upon you or a chariot of fire. All of a sudden, it burns like in a healing line, and I'm not mocking that. There's no tangible manifestation or even feeling of the spirit of wisdom. It's just knowing what to do next, and yet some people doubt. I would maybe encourage you as, as a pastor that as you're praying for wisdom and you think you've got some, submit it to prove it. I, I believe this is what the Lord's telling me to do. I believe this is what wisdom is saying. Does it bear witness with you, Elder Chad or Elder Cephas or Elder Michael? Or pastor, this is what I'm thinking about doing. What does wisdom say to you? Does it sound like wisdom to you? And you get to know the voice of wisdom. Proverbs says she has a voice and it personifies wisdom as a she. And the reason the Jews say is because it wants to demonstrate the kind, merciful side of God. It's not the abrading, rebuking side of God. It's the gentle, motherly side of God. And we're not trying to say that God is a he, she confused. But the Lord Jesus did say, I long to gather you under my wings as a mother hen. So again, I don't want to go too far on that. Not in this spiritual climate of today. Like I say, if you have a they, them, the he, him that lives in me can cast the they, them out of you. <laughs> Just be real clear on that. When you ask, you must believe and do not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. There's a lot that can be said about being double-minded we need to be convicted of who Christ is, what he's called us to do. We need to be convicted of our assignment, of what holiness is. We don't need to waffle. The Christians that are waffling right now, and all of us know somebody, they never waffle back into the body. They never teeter-totter or seesaw back in. The seesawing always takes them away from the fellowship of the saints. We can't seesaw. We can't teeter-totter. At some point, your faith and your conviction has to be, in, in one regard, blind as to what the scriptures say and not how you feel in the moment. You must do the word regardless of how you feel. Those that are led by feelings right now are double-minded and they're going to be offended and taken away. They, some of them won't be taken away just gone. They'll be taken away to the lesser church and then they'll waffle there and then the lesser church, and then the waffle there, and then the lesser church. A few years ago, maybe five, ten years ago, we, we put up a, an analogy where right now there's so many churches, even in Tennessee, you can go from a hot, on-fire, Pentecostal, traditional Orthodox church and slowly come all the way down to the atheistic church that meets in a school that has fake communion elements, and there's a gradation between that church and the hot on fire Orthodox church. And you could slowly step down and never even realize you're slowly denying Christ. Yes, yes, sir. There's no big jumps anymore. 
Not in this nation. There's a gradation in every city. From hot on fire, sold out, wholly clean, to the next one down, 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 slowly freezing your faith to oblivion. We, we are called to keep pushing hotter into Christ. Don't be double-minded and don't be unstable in what you do. Verse 9, believers in humble circumstances. That's a lot of us in the upper Cumberland. They ought to take pride in their high position. Notice the inversion here. If you're in a humble circumstance, the Bible calls that a high position. When you're in humble, lean circumstances, you're calling out to God more. That puts you in a higher position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation. When the rich are humbled, be proud of that because God's having mercy on you. Since they will pass away like a wild flower, for the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away while they go about their business. This becomes a very strong warning, the first in the New Testament for wealthy believers to be careful. This warning in the NIV is, is very stark. Basically, wealthy believers, if they're not careful, they'll fade away and not even realize it. They will fade away while they go about their business. That's why the higher you get financially, you got to keep resetting in Christ in your heart. The higher a minister gets, the more they have to keep resetting in their heart. The more influence you get, the more knowledge you get, no matter what your calling is, if you excel at it, me, my intellect seems to consume more. I have to keep humbling myself. And no matter how smart or how much knowledge I dive into through my studies, I have to keep saying, but nobody's smarter than the Holy Ghost. Somebody was asking me, I was talking with Reverend Mark Martin. I'll just share something a little bit about the spirit realm for, a little, for just a moment. And we're going to have to wrap up here. We're not going to finish chapter one. Reverend Mark Martin comes from rock and roll. And we were talking about the demon realm and and, and how everybody has this kind of, um, in a sense, spiritual pheromone that that spirit knows about you. And he says, he, he said, you know, I can, I can spot drugs and alcohol on people because I come from that, he said. And the music, he said, the demons on music, I know that because I come from that. And, uh, and I said, well, I, I don't, I'm not very good with the drugs and alcohol. I can't spot, I can tell a drunk, but I said, I've got folks in my church who can tell me what drugs people are on by the eyes they have because they're familiar with that spirit. And I said, he said, so what's your deal, pastor? I said, well, to be honest with you, with my intellectualism in some of my deep studies, I get out there and I bump into the intellectual demons. And I said, and they, they don't look like it, but they sit there and want to discuss things with me like a professor in a three-piece suit. I said, they're not horrific. They're not scary. They're not even trying to be. They're not trying to be like a three-horned demon fangs and red eyes, they sit there as an entity of intellect and they wanted, they wanted to discuss things with me and bring me further away. And I said, I've been there a couple times in my studies, bumping into their doctrine woven in and out of theology. And I said, it's a trippy place. And I just have to walk away, shut the book and say, Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost. Forget knowledge, forget intellect, forget PhDs, THDs, MDivs. That can all go to hell. Let's lay hands on somebody, cast out a devil. Because I just got way too far out there. I'm coming back and resetting myself. Be the same way with money. You get so hoity-toity. The money God gives you take you to hell because you think you, you're something special now 
can never forget where you come from. At all. Pastor Caleb, was it you and I talking about not being able to think in the pulpit? Yeah. So I'm mindful. He and I were talking about when confusion comes into a church, even when when you've done ministry, you get to where you can't even think to do announcements. Your brain just doesn't even function. Usually it's a spirit of confusion or some agitation in the service. But I've been there enough being buffeted by the enemy. I know that any intellect I have is totally God-given. And so I have to keep coming back and say, Lord, it's all you. That can be applied to your businesses that you grow, can be applied to your music ability that you grow. Whatever could cause you to be of high degree, you need to make sure you, you are rejoicing when you're humbled. Otherwise, you will pass away and not even realize it. Like Samson, exalted through the anointing, exalted in supernatural strength, and God leave him and he not even realize it. So the point is, whether you're rich or poor, every one of us is excelling at something. We need to make sure we're constantly resetting. If I'm asked to do worship, I'm not good at it. I'm going to say, oh, God, help. Oh, God, help. Oh, God, help. And God will anoint me. But if it's something I'm good at that I can just do this all day, any day, I'll be tempted to say, I got this. That's the attitude here. Whether it's money or intellect, intelligence, influence, music ability, you name it. Don't just rest this or leave this in the realm of money. Verse 11, let's read it again, then we'll, we'll pray. We'll pray and uh, see what the Lord wants to do. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. What blossom is God causing to blossom in your life? What's the grace God's given you that you've tapped into and it's really beginning to flourish? Every one of us has something. Maybe you haven't tapped into it yet. Maybe you're starting to see buds come up. But if you're born again, there's some kind of bud or blossom. God's going to blossom in your life. I look at Miss Chris back there. God's really blossoming this ministry. God's given her to help ladies specifically who are in weird bondages, drugs, alcohol. Everybody knows she's got a grace for that. That's really coming into her own there. She has to keep that humbled before God. Kylie is music. Dr. Cephas got his PhD. He's doing businesses now. Brother Chad has got businesses now. We all have something that when it blossoms, it's easy to get into pride. If we're not careful, the beauty will be destroyed in the same way the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Verse 12, blessed is one who perseveres under trial. This is going to kind of bring it all uh, full circle. Having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. So we see it begin with temptation and tests, and now it concludes with that. We have to endure. We have to pass the test. We have to pass it and go through it. Blessed are those who endure it. Blessed are those who uh, persevere because that gives us a crown of life. Not only does it give us experience, now we're talking about an eternal reward for it, the crown of life. I wonder if a crown of life in heaven gives us a little bit more life here today. There's, there's just something about not quitting. There's just something about finishing. There's something about accomplishing. There's something about doing the hard thing. And if you and I can always take the tougher of the two options, start what we finish, it begins to build a sense of momentum, a sense of accomplishment. I encourage all of our young people, if you started a college degree, unless you just have the Lord saying no, finish it. Reading a book, unless it's just dirty, 
Finish the book. Start your chores. Don't be a typical Upper Cumberland man and have half a dozen unfinished cars and three billy goats in the front yard. Make a list, knock it out. The kingdom is advanced one to-do list item at a time. Persevere, get experience, and watch that confidence put a momentum in you. you. Before long, you'll know that anything you'll say in your heart, anything I start, I finish, and I finish well. So what's next, Lord? That kind of person is unstoppable. But when you know you're always quitting and you're always running and you're always failing, why would you do anything else? Because you're just going to quit, run, and fail that too. We have to stay committed to God. We have to stay committed to him. We've been given too much to just loaf around and flop around like the rest of the upper Cumberland. Amen.